Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. We are brought to you today by Untuck It. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show and thank you for joining me on this episode of the show. Unfortunately coming at you after another dismal Bulls loss, which is becoming very routine for us this this season, Bulls fans, and um, I'm thankful that I'm not alone today. Joining me on this episode of the show is the co-host of the Locked On Bulls podcast. He's Jordan Malley, and he joins me now. Jordan, how are you, mate? Good. How you doing? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. I'm, I'm all over the place at the moment. It's my Sunday afternoon as I, as I record this right now, and I'm getting tired, Jordan, of wasting my weekends watching this Bulls team and then having you and to. Me oh, it, it sucks, man. Like, I mean, it's Saturday for you as we're recording this. So at least you have your Sunday afternoon still, still to go about watching whatever else you want to do or just carry on with your day. I don't know if you're a Bears fan, so maybe that's not the most. Um, it's been depressing as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Chicago sports right now is pretty shit for everyone, but I'm just a Bulls fan. I don't follow any other team and. I'm always maybe a little bit in in front in terms of the, the time zone conversion. So for me, it's a Sunday afternoon and just seeing the Bulls drop another game, especially this game, a, a, a game to the Nets where the Nets didn't have Kyrie Irving. They obviously don't have Kari, uh, Kevin Durant. They were without Karis LeVert as well. This, this should be an automatic W and it should be a double-digit double win for the Bulls. It, it shouldn't be a game where they're sort of fighting fighting until the end to sort of claw their way back into it and maybe hitting some desperation threes at the end to make the, the scoreline look a little bit more respectable than what it was. But yeah, we find ourselves with another L and the Bulls now move to 4-9 and nine in the season. Yeah, you know, the the biggest thing too was I was curious about how the Bulls were going to start. You know, Jim Boylan has harped so much on how good the Bulls have played in their first quarters. And then figuring tonight, like exactly what you just said, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Karius LeVert, the three best players on that Nets team are out. So I figured, okay, the Bulls are playing at home. It's a Saturday night. They had more than enough rest. They, all they did was go up to Milwaukee on Thursday too. So there wasn't a whole lot of travel in between as well. So this team should be fully healthy. And even missing Otto Porter, you feel like, Bulls should have a pretty good grasp of this game, and it just felt like they came out flat, and then they finished flat, too. That second quarter, I felt like, was the only quarter that they played halfway decent in, and I'm with you, too. It's just frustrating. Every game, it seems like there is something that goes wrong, and the Bulls cannot, for whatever reason it is, put together a complete game. You mentioned Otto Porter there, and it's inexcusable that this team, despite missing Porter, came out to the way they the way they started the game. They were down nineteen to ten at one point in that opening quarter, which is just ridiculous. Like we said, we given the the personnel that the Nets were missing in this game, that should never really happen. I mean, they're starting Garrett Temple at shooting guard, they're starting Torian Prince and Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie. A lot of these players. Are bench players on most other teams. I mean, Garrett Temple isn't a isn't a starting player in the NBA at this point. But yeah, it's just ridiculous that the Bulls are getting down to this point. And I mean, the Nets were basically playing a an eight man rotation. I mean, Iman Shumpert came in the game, but he he wasn't even in the NBA a week ago. So it, it's it's kind of ridiculous. But let's let's talk about Otto Porter first because I think before we get to the game, we need to we need to talk about this because. 
just slightly before the game, Jim Boylan mentioned that Otto Porter's not going to be out for months, but he's going to be out for weeks, which is an update that we didn't have prior. We, we, we were going game to game and just wondering when Otto would be back. We don't even really know what's wrong with Otto. We know it's a foot contusion of sorts, but beyond that, we don't know much. But before this game, I just found it odd that Jim Boylan has been the one delivering the news about the Bulls' injuries. We, he obviously, the other day, dropped the news about Larry Markman being hurt and that the fact that he's been hurt for two weeks. He just casually drops in here before the Nets game that Otto Porter won't be missing months, but unfortunately will be missing weeks. But how do you feel about the Bulls' lack of transparency in terms of their injuries and the fact that it's Jim Boylan reporting after the fact? Otto has been out for a week now. We're only learning now that he's going to be missing weeks. What are your thoughts about Boylan being the, the one delivering the message and it not being the team officials and the news coming out a week, two weeks after than when it should? It's bizarre because, like you said, bringing up the Lowry Markinen situation, that was it was kind of like casual, you know, matter of factly that he brought that up, and it's like, well, why didn't any of us know about that? You know, as soon as he was playing with it, because you just let Lowry Markinen for the last two weeks get absolutely killed by anybody that's watching this game, any writers, any radio people, anybody paying attention at all to this Bulls team, on top of all the fans who've been criticizing Lowry, and I think rightfully so, because we didn't know he was playing hurt. And then he drops that little nugget, and it's like, well, okay, now that actually explains what was going on with Markinen. Not 100%, but that's a good indication of why he hasn't been as aggressive as he normally is and what we saw from late last season. You know, having an oblique injury can cause you not to bang bodies down low and not be as aggressive as you once were because you're nursing that injury. I didn't like the way that Jim Boylan, too, kind of made it like, uh, yeah, you know what, this is going to help him be a little bit tougher and be able to play through these things. You know, that's the very last thing you want your younger young players to do is play through injuries. You end up getting them hurt even worse than they were before, a.k.a. Chandler Hutchison last year. Look at what you let him play through through a game, and then he ended up missing the entire season. It's these little things that I don't understand why you know, as as negative as they can be, they're not as transparent as every other team would be uh, with their fan base, with people who cover the team. And it just kind of blows my mind. It goes back to Otto Porter now. You know, this is something that I was very concerned with when the Bulls traded for all these nagging injuries and whether or not he's going to be a guy that can stay fully healthy. Just from some of the things that I'm hearing um, from people who are around the team every single day, it sounds like Otto Porter is going to deal with this for the rest of his career, Uh, just constantly not being 100% healthy, whether it's the hip, whether it's the foot, whether it's the hand, whatever the case may be, it sounds like he's always going to have these nagging injuries, which puts a huge concern on me if he's going to be a vital, important part of this team and I told Matt Peck too when we were talking about this at the beginning of the season the first five or six games where the Bulls looked awful and Otto looked pretty bad too completely different from what we saw at the back end of the last season when we traded for him was he is the essential piece to I think this whole team getting going in the way that we want them to go Um, when he's not out there knocking down shots it doesn't open up lanes for Lowry Market it doesn't open up lanes for Zach Levine doesn't open up anything else for anybody on this offense to kind of be successful and I found that very curious and I don't know what they're going to do now like you can't go back on what you said at, at Media Day, where you said playoffs were the number one goal. And for the most part, this team has been healthy. Now with Otto out, I'm just, it makes me roll my eyes because I feel like there's going to be an excuse coming should this team continue to lose games for the next several weeks. Yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about this and I've been thinking about ways that Boylan and maybe the and, and management themselves can find a way to to, to, to get away with them receiving the blame. I mean, they'll always cop their fair share of blame from the fans. I mean, that's more than certain, but I'm just trying to think of the ways that they will maybe justify the the lack of accountability on their side being maybe shifted somewhere. And I, the more I think about it, the more I think it's going to be handed onto the shoulders of someone like Larry Marketing in the way that I think it's been done before to Chris Dunn. So we've heard John Paxson being pretty pretty negative about Chris Dunn in the past. And I'm wondering, should this season continue to play out the way it is? We talked about Larry being injured just before. I'm wondering if the, uh, I guess the pressure we put onto Larry may be unfairly. Because if he is playing with through an injury here, which it seems like he is, and he's not producing to the level that we all hope, 
I, I wonder if they're going to pass the buck to a degree and say, well, the players didn't necessarily take the steps that we thought they would, and um, it will be lumped onto 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 Larry Markin's shoulders. He was bad again against the Nets, four of ten shooting. He did have sixteen and ten points, which does looks nice, but again, another bad shooting performance. He's only had three games where he shot over forty percent this season. So, another game here for Markin where he hasn't performed thirty five minutes, and if they've played him today. So if he is playing through an injury, the fact that they're playing 35 minutes isn't ideal as well, particularly when Thad Young is sitting on the bench. Now, granted, he wasn't great in this Nets game, but he only played 20 minutes, which is kind of ridiculous in itself. So the Bulls have a pl- have a ton of problems. And yeah, I, I do wonder if they're going to start shifting the blame to, to the players at some point. I I will have my issues if that is the case because I'm I whilst Marketing Levine these types of players have been bad this season we've seen them be so much better than this to the point where I don't believe they are actually this bad so yeah it'll be interesting to see how it all shapes out I guess with Jim Boylan too you know you just brought up I think something that's interesting and I think it's going to continue through the next handful of weeks is shifting that blame from what the coaching staff is doing and what they did to put together this team right now. And instead of maybe letting themselves out with an easy out with injuries to Otto and to Chandler Hutchison to start the season and even Denzel uh, to an extent, uh, this to me sounds like that's what it's going to be is I don't know if Jim Boylan's going to put the the toughness mentality back on and, hey, here's some tough love for the entire team. Um, it seems like that to me was kind of the message a couple of weeks ago when he let Lowry sit on the bench in those closing games, back-to-back games. As much as he wants to say that that was not the point, to me it might have been a little bit of a, hey, you know what, check yourself a little bit. If you're not going to go out there and play productive minutes late, we're going to find somebody else who does that. And I think that was to try to maybe build a spark out of Lowry. And I and he tried to do this last year with Chris Dunn and Wendell Carter Jr. And I don't necessarily feel like that worked the way that he wanted it to. So I don't know if this that was something that he was trying again or merely it was just to give Lowry some time off. I don't know what it is, but it's inexcusable to have a guy that you drafted seventh overall and have pitched to the fan base now for the third straight year as part of your core building block not to be out there to close games. One of the biggest things the Bulls talked about and said, you know, we're looking forward to seeing is seeing Zach, Lowry, Otto, Wendell all close games this year together and learn how to win games. How can that that group of guys that you're considering your quote-unquote core learn how to win games when one of them is sitting on the bench for the last five to seven minutes? I just don't really understand it. And on top of Jim Boylan, too, I want to get your thoughts on this. Have you been impressed at all with Chris Fleming's offense because I have been very very mildly disappointed uh, with what I've seen so far and I know it's going to take some time to implement a new type of offense Um, and this is kind of what they did last year and I know Chris Fleming may be bringing some other ideas over but I have not been all that impressed with what I've seen so far from him. Yeah, it's a tough one because I think if you look at their shot prof- their shot profile, where they're getting their shots from, the type of shots they're taking, I-, I-, I can't argue too much with that, I suppose. So in that sense, I'm okay with the type of offense they're generating. Clearly, they're not executing and producing to the level that we had hoped. I mean, they're just missing so many open shots at this point. It's, it's beyond ridiculous. I don't know why this is happening. I mean, part of it is obviously Larry. He's just not shooting anywhere close to his normal levels. Same with Zach Levine. His shooting numbers are down from last season. But I, 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 I can't explain it beyond players just missing shots that they should typically make. And I guess you would assume it will come back at some point. But at the same time, we're, we're 13 games into the season now. And the, the team just hasn't really had a great offensive game. There's been so... They've gone so many games where they haven't had a, a you know a top shelf sort of offensive performance, being where you wonder when this whole thing will flip. So I'm more concerned about the offense in the sense from what they're asking of certain players to do and who they're asking to run the offense as such. Because I think the shots that they are getting are okay, but when it sort of boils down into the last few minutes and maybe when it's a little bit tougher to execute your your standard schemes and it, it just sort of the ball starts sticking and it, and it ends up inevitably in the hands of either Zach Levine or Kobe White at this point to, to make a play, I think that's when things really become a problem. So I I, I don't like to get the team's late game execution we're recording this straight after after the game itself, and 
Casey Johnson had some quotes here from from Zach Levine, essentially Zach suggesting that the ball is sticking, that the offense is getting stagnant, which I guess is kind of ironic from, I mean, him coming from him, given he's the the largest culprit of that. But I guess he's not alone in that sense because there's not a lot of creators out there with him and who can take the ball out of his hands and make a play. So I I like the offense in terms of what it's doing to get shots for maybe the first 44 minutes of the game. Obviously, the team isn't making those shots, but the the offense in that last five-minute period of the fourth quarter, that's when it gets really ugly. The thing I was looking at, too, as far as like closing out games and the offense being stagnant, especially in the last five or seven minutes of the games, and while it's still early, I was curious, because the Bulls have played in a lot of really close games so far to start this season. I was curious what the clutch time stats were for the entire Bulls team, and it's actually pretty astounding to take a look at this the amount of shots that this Bulls team is distributing over the last five minutes of a game if they're up or down five points Zach Levine has 22 field goal attempts in seven games that were considered clutch time everybody else on the roster has less than five shots Lowry Markkinen has five shots Otto Porter has five Thomas Adaranski has three Kobe White two Thaddeus Young two Carter two Archie Diakno one and nobody else has a shot so Zach Levine is taking the bulk of the shots in the last five minutes when they really do need a bucket. And to his point, though, I guess I understand that that's who the Bulls are asking him to be is the guy that can come down and score a late bucket, uh, whether they're up or down. But I feel like at times, too, you can't go away from other guys. This team has too many good, decent shooters and scores on this team to only rely on Zach. So I don't know if that's a shift in mentality that Zach needs to overcome from last year or the year before that when he felt all by himself, especially last year during this time. Uh, But to me, that's astonishing that Zach Levine has like over 80% of the shots total taken in clutch time. I mean, that's a fantastic start. I, I, I wasn't aware of that. And I mean, it, what I was speaking about just before that was anecdotal what I felt when I watched that game and or when I watched these games rather and, and you just dropping that that stat there sort of I guess backs up my point because that that's kind of feels like what like what we're watching out there when we watch this Bulls team in the in the clutch or in the closing moments of a game I mean in this specific game itself against the Nets Zach had 36 points he had 24 shots there wasn't a player that came close to that in, in attempts. The, the second the second in attempts on this Bulls team against the Nets was Kobe White, which has been a running theme at this point. If it's not Zach Levine leading the team in field goal attempts, then it's Kobe White just behind him to the point where Larry Markin is getting shut out with only 10 field goal attempts, which is problematic. Obviously, Larry's had his own issues. He's not being aggressive enough either. But I don't know. Even in this game, we can, when we focus this game or when we lock into this game, uh, it really was the the microcosm of the Zach Levine experience to an extent where Zach carried that Bulls offense in that final quarter. He had 16 of his 36 points in that final quarter, but he's taking the bulk of the shots. He's wanting to take the bulk of the shots. He's needing to take the bulk of the shots because his team doesn't necessarily have a ton of offensive creation out there on the perimeter. But at the same time, I don't think Zach's doing enough to maybe explore his teammates' ability to actually finish plays or create plays. So it's, it's a bit of a catch-22 in the sense that this team needs Levine to, to get out there and create on the offensive perimeter because they don't have enough of it. But at the same time, he's also not allowing this team to, to really explore other avenues. It, it's a weird situation. It is. He's kind of stuck in the middle too. You know, you bring up a fantastic point of, uh, you know, back in February when they were creating a lot, Lowry seemed to have all the confidence in the world, and same thing with Otto Porter, and it seemed like Zach all of a sudden turned and flipped a switch and trusted both of those guys, and things started to work out well. It seems like he's kind of gone back the opposite way again this year, where he doesn't necessarily trust Lowry or Otto or Thomas Sadoransky or Kobe White or anybody he's out on the floor with, especially late in stretches, feels like he needs to always be the guy to take the shot and score, which I think long term for this Bulls team is a huge problem if you can't trust the other guys that are out on the floor to knock down a basket then that's that's a huge issue for this young Bulls team and rightfully so to Zach Levine's credit it's like how can you trust guys when they're wide open in a corner shot or wide open from three and they're missing terribly how about Lowry tonight Uh, in that fourth quarter he was wide open from three missed awfully on a three-pointer And then they let the Nets come back down in transition. And the Bulls, I don't think, have played it all that great of transition defense. Um, It seems like they get 
stuck and all of a sudden they let teams go on these unbelievable runs in these fourth quarters so like you said it it's it puts Zach in a weird position it's like yes he's taking all of the shots late and especially when games are close but at the same time if we want him to distribute all of these other guys on his team need to start knocking down shots in order for him to trust him. So that's why I don't bag or criticize Zach Levine for not distributing the ball as much throughout this early part of the season because it goes back to look at all the shooting percentages. Which guy is actually stepping up besides him? Outside of Carter, nobody really. And, you know, Kobe White's two games that were flashes of night of really nice play and reasons why they have two extra wins right now. But consistency with Kobe White, I think, is going to be up and down all season, and you can't put that much pressure on a rookie uh, to unload the secondary scoring besides Zach Levine. So guys like Lowry Markinen, and whenever they get Otto Porter back, and hopefully Carter, they start to implement him a little bit more. All of these guys need to step up, and someone's got to take a hold of that second that secondary scoring besides just Zach. Yeah, 100%. I think it's too easy to, to lump it all on Zach Levine. I think that would be unfair, but... I think it's also fair to, to suggest he's a conflicting player because I, I go myself back and forward as to whether I blame Zach, whether I don't. It, it's just a weird mix of, of players at the moment. The Bulls need more of an offensive creator out there. They need really someone at point guard that can sort of just, when things are going off the rails, they need someone out there that can sort of just take a man and control things and get the team constant good shots. Maybe five possessions in a row where they're generating good, good offensive possessions. That doesn't happen enough to uh, enough in the closing moments of a game unfortunately which is problematic and it's not surprising that the Bulls have been blowing double digit leads and letting games slip away like they have been this Nets win on this Nets game rather should have been a win the Nets really had no business being in this game I mean the Bulls just dominated the glass they had the free throw advantage there they're two components or two variables within the box score that the Bulls have typically struggled in but they had they had a dominant advantage in that space but they were just allowing the Nets to stay in this game with the Nets generating more offensive um, more offensive possessions and, and, and obviously generating a lot of their offense from the three-point line. They took 43 threes tonight, only made 10, 10 of them, so it's poor shooting by the Nets, but the fact that they were able to generate 43 three-point attempts speaks to the Bulls' defense, and I want to talk about that a little bit more, but before I do, let's tell the listeners about this week's sponsor. The holidays are almost here, and you know what that means, gifts. And what better gift to give a guy in your life than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most brands, untucked shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untucked shirts always fall at that just right length, no matter his size, so he looks casual and sharp. I don't know about you guys, but if you've bought shirts online just like I have, often the case is you get a shirt that looks nice in the picture, but the length of the shirt isn't what you had in mind, the material may not be exactly what you thought you'd be getting when you purchased it online, but in my experience with Untucked, I've never had that issue before. The shirt always fits the way I thought it would, it hangs the way I thought it would, and the material and quality of the shirt is always top-notch. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untucked style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like a wrinkle-free button-down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untucked, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or even too big again. And best of all, their website is easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart and relaxed style of your own, Untucked is the way to go. Visit Untucked.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Back to the pod now. I want to talk about the defense, Jordan, because this is probably my bigger concern than the offense itself. I think... The offense has been, I I guess, apart from the obviously players missing open shots, shots that they typically should make, I I wasn't expecting anything more from the offense in the sense that offensive creation was always going to be a problem. But defense, we, at least I was, was skeptical of the defense coming into this season based on the talent they had on the roster. But I've become even more skeptical based on the scheme they've been implementing. And 
Again, talking about this Nets game, this should have been a game where the defense should have easily gotten on top for the Bulls, given that the given the personnel that the Nets were running out, they they too didn't really have much offensive creation outside of Spencer Dinwiddie. Once once the ball was out of his out of his hands, they couldn't really generate anything off the bounce. But for whatever reason, the Bulls continued to play an aggressive brand of pick and roll defense. Maybe not as aggressive as we've seen in the past, but by doing so. It allowed guys like Jared Allen to sort of run into the lanes. And by playing such an aggressive brand of pick and roll defense, it allowed the Nets to fire up a ton of three-point shots, a lot of them being corner threes as well. Now, thankfully, they missed a lot of these shots, but the the type of the type of shots that the Bulls are allowing a, their, their opponent offense to sort of launch is just problematic at this point, and it continues in game 13 of this season. You bring up a great point too, and I think the one thing that, that is really positive about this Bulls team is I don't know if you've gotten a chance to take a look at uh, some of the traditional stats across the NBA, but the Bulls are number one in steals this season. So they've been great at getting their hands in passing lanes and creating turnovers. The problem is, is exactly what you just pointed out. And, you know, if the Nets had been better tonight, if they even had Karius Levert or Kyrie Irving playing tonight, Kyrie probably goes for 40. He's getting a lot of those wide open three point shots. And I, I could see, I could see him easily going for 40 tonight. Have had he played that's the problem is like you take the good with the bad is when the Bulls play that aggressive pick and roll defense they do create a lot of turnovers but at the same time it at times it leaves guys open wide open and guys are missing rotations too you know there were so many times tonight especially in that second half where I saw Lowry Markinen looked absolutely had no idea where he needed to be at times I felt bad for Carter Carter felt like he had to come over and double team every time Zach or Kobe White was on somebody and it left a lot of guys wide open whether it was getting to the basket easy and I don't know if it was a net scheme too where they were doing a lot of driving and kicking just like the Bulls were doing and just not knocking down their threes but I mean, say the, say the Nets knocked down five more threes than they did tonight. I mean, we're looking at a 15, 18-point blowout uh, against this Bulls team, which, you know, going into the second half, the Bulls had 24 free-throw attempts to the Nets' seven. At one point, the Bulls had 39 free-throw attempts to the Nets' 21, doubling them up. So, to me, to get to the free-throw that line that much for the Bulls and then turn around and still lose this game, it speaks volumes. It speaks absolute volumes. And it seems like, too, when the Bulls play bad on defense and they let teams go on, whatever it is, a 9-0 run, 11-0 run, 15-0 run, it seems like they just hang their heads force a lot of things on offense and it just creates a lot of problems on the defensive side too but um, the Bulls can't play continue to play this type of defense without guys being smart enough to know where they need to be on the floor at all times you only have, with the starters you only have one or two guys that actually know what they're doing um, so with Carter he can't pick up everything either you look at what he did in the second half he had zero fouls in that first half he ended up falling out of this game. He had six fouls in the second half, and a lot of that was due to covering up the mistakes of his teammates too. So I don't know what they're going to do on the defensive side of the ball, but if you're not knocking down shots and you're allowing teams to, if you're allowing yourself to say, hey, you know what? Teams are going to shoot threes. They're going to knock down threes. Who cares? We've got enough firepower on the offensive side. Well, the offense needs to start knocking down shots. Otherwise, you're going to end up being blown out of games like you have been in this first 13 games of the schedule. So it's a mess. It's a mess, and I don't know how they fix it. And losing Otto is a huge blow. And now that we have no idea what the timetable is for that, I don't know who steps up into that role. We're kind of in the kind of in purgatory again as far as the defensive side goes, with Wendell being the only real strong, competent defender on the floor with those starters. So I don't know where they go from here, but there needs to be some type of adjustment and quick. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken about the different types of defensive coverages that they could start to employ, and we're seeing them mix it up a little bit. Unfortunately, there was too many times in that fourth quarter where Carter was switched on to or, or had the matchup against Spencer Dinwiddie, and, and Dinwiddie's he can beat most guards off the dribble with his first step. He has a pretty lightning first step, but he was taking Carter off the bounce too often. And the Bulls too often, interesting their defensive sets, have Carter guarding out way too high to the point where he is your best rim protector, but he's often guarding out almost past the three-point line sometimes. So he was matched up on Dinwiddie a lot in that fourth quarter, which is problematic. But beyond that, even in pick and rolls, he was sort of doubling up onto that point guard, be it Dinwiddie or whoever else was initiating that pick and roll play. So I don't like how aggressive the Bulls are being with their centers. And you touched on it there. What they're trying to do is generate turnovers and generate easy scores 
by playing an aggressive brand of basketball. And maybe they need to do that given how bad their offense has been and how much that offense has struggled to get easy points in the half court. But by being so aggressive on defense, it's leaving those corners open and it's just making rotations and players having to scramble to the point where, as you sort of suggested, there was no one really sort of helping Carter on the backside. Larry Markman gets confused. Guys like Sadoransky or Levine who are guarding in the corners, they easily lose their players to the point where Garrett Temple, a player like that, was able to, to launch nine threes today. He Again, he only shot two of them, only made two of them rather, but he got up nine three-point attempts. Joe Harris, he got up eight three-point attempts, and a lot of them were good shots from the net. So the Bulls' defense is all kinds of wrong, even if they are generating a lot of steals, a lot of turnovers, and getting out into, into transition. But I would almost prepare them, or prefer them rather, to be a little bit more conservative on defense, put away this aggressive scheme. Maybe you don't generate as many turnovers, but maybe you're also lessening the impact in terms of the amount of threes you're giving up, amount of easy baskets you're allowing, the roll man within the within the opponent's offense to just sort of glide into the lane. I mean, the Nets got 26 points out of their centers today. Jarrett Allen had 11. DeAndre Jordan had seven, and then Nick Claxton had eight off the bench as well. So, and a lot of those were just easy dunks coming through the lane because, as we sort of touched on, Carter was out there guarding high. They would dump off to their rolling big man, and he would get an easy an easy score at the basket. And against this net squad, it should have been an easy it should have been easy to guard this team. I mean, you just drop down a little bit, double up when you need to on Dinwiddie. But if you just got to tag that roll man to the point where he's not an option as a lob threat, and just stay home on the shooters and it should have been an easy way to guard this team and undermand that team, but of course the Bulls found a way to uh, to muck it all up on D. Yeah, that the points in the paint too was something that I was actually pretty surprised by, given how many threes the Nets attempted tonight. You look at the amount of attempts, the, the shots that they were knocking down in the first half compared to the second half. The Bulls were outscored in the paint by twenty. I mean, for a team that emphasizes driving to the basket and scoring there. And with the amount of free throw attempts the Bulls had tonight, I would, but not even looking at the box score, I would have said, okay, the Bulls lost this game, but they had to have beat the Nets with points in the paint, right? Because of the amount of free throw attempts that they had. And it just blew my mind that they were, it was 56 to 36 in favor of the Nets. So with the Nets even kicking out as much as they did, and then the amount of shots that they missed from three, they were still getting a lot of easy points, like you said, from their big men. 26 points from their big men is is something that the Bulls are going to have to deal with all season long. I mean, we're talking about Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan, who are two good, decent players in the league, but they're not anywhere near elite guys that are going to be down by the rim. What happens when you play a team like, I don't know, for example, uh, Oklahoma City, and you have Steven Adams? Steven Adams could go off for 35 if you're just allowing easy dunks and easy baskets around the rim, and nobody else besides Carter is playing any type of defense. So I think the Bulls are running into a problem, too, of not having enough guys that can protect the rim rim and shot block, which brings up another point is, why haven't we seen Daniel Gafford at all? Luke Cornett is terrible on defense. So I think that experiment to me, I'm already done with that experiment. So why haven't we seen Daniel Gafford at all? I don't know if it's a Jim Boylan thing, if it's they really don't feel like if he goes into a game, he'll have any type of impact. But I'm pretty sure he just in the the G League game last night, he had 20 and 13, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, and he looked really, really good. So, I don't know why we, at this point, I don't understand how it could hurt. Uh, because clearly, these small, smaller ball lineups, especially when they go with that second unit, aren't getting any protection around the rim. And Carter, too, ends up, like you were saying, see him a lot in that second half tonight where he was playing up high, having to bail out guys like Kobe White and guys like Zach Levine um, or even Lowry Markkinen at times where he didn't know where he needed to rotate. So it's an it's a huge issue for this Bulls team who quote-unquote says they want to be competitive. And if we're going to go into February at this time, the Bulls need to look for an option for another rim protector. I don't know where they're going to get it from, whether it's going to be cutting somebody on this roster currently and signing an, an unrestricted free agent right now not playing or making a deal for somebody. But I don't think you can go throughout this rest of this season only having one real true rim protector on this team. This team misses Robin Lopez so much, and I, I think we're already getting a real taste of that in the first 13 games. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Robin Lopez himself is not a great defensive rebounder, but he boxes out like no one else. 
on this team has ever really had. So in that sense, the team has missed him on the glass, but they've obviously missed his rim protection as well. And he was the type of defender where you could have him in the drop coverage and he could really protect that rim. And the Bulls were that the Bulls have been a good defense in, at times when Robin Lopez was around. So that is a good point. They have missed Lopez, but I, look, I'm not too concerned that Gafford's not playing, but. At the same time, if you want to throw someone into the rotation like Gafford, this Nets game is the exact type of game where you could do it, where he'll be playing up against guys who literally do the exact same thing he does on offense. So if there's anyone that he should be able to cover on the defensive side of the ball, it should be guys like Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan or Nick Nick Claxton, these type of players where they have a similar game to Daniel Gafford in the sense that on offense, they're going to be those big rim rollers. And on defense, they're going to be the guys that are obviously protecting the rim and grabbing those defensive boards. So Gafford should be able to play against those lineups, particularly in the second unit when Kenny Atkinson is going against DeAndre Jordan, who is probably a shell of himself at this point, but is still an effective player. That's probably the matchup where you can play Daniel Gafford because you do have a rim rolling big like the Nets were constantly doing. Fair enough if you're, if you're, you know, you don't want to play someone like Gafford against a, a spaced out five or something like that. But against the Nets, this is actually an opportunity where you could have explored that option. But for whatever reason, obviously Boylan didn't, didn't go that route. But I think some, my bigger issue with Boylan and his rotations, I've got many of them, but um, it, the last couple games, he's been closing games with Ryan Archidiakono on the floor. And Archidiakono, look, he's one of my favorite Bulls. I love him. Everyone knows that at this point, but he's being asked to do way too much at this point. I mean, he had, and by he, I mean Jim Boylan, he had Ryan Archidiakono guarding Giannis in that closing fourth so quarter ridiculous. against the Bucks. Now, I mean... Credit to Archer Diakono because there was several possessions where he actually did a decent job on Giannis. But at the same time, we talked about Otto Porter being out on this team for the moment with that injury. It's obviously going to be an injury he's going to be out for some weeks with. The only wing that this team has within its rotation is Chandler Hutchinson. And for whatever reason, he's not playing in these closing moments. And again, Ryan Archidiakono against the Nets was closing for the Bulls in this game where, where they were also running out Zach Levine and Thomas Sadoransky. So they, they're effectively closing with three perimeter guards, not playing their lone wing. And I just don't get it. I don't understand it either. And you know, whether or not Jim Boylan trusts Chandler Hutcherson enough to be able to be out there and close games and be a smart defender, uh, it'll be interesting to see once Hutcherson gets a few more games under his belt this season and maybe starts to come into his own again and feel a little bit more comfortable. Maybe Boylan does go to him, but it does kind of blow my mind that he continuously goes to Ryan Archidiakono in closing minutes. And I get Archie's a really smart player. Um, I've said it a million times. If Archie retires today, he would have a coaching job immediately tomorrow whether it's in college or the NBA but it's it's almost it's inexcusable especially teams that now in the NBA you you've got a lot of NBA teams that are going out there with three or four guys on the floor that are six eight or bigger um, to ask Ryan Archie Diacono to guy to guard a guy like Giannis and like you say give him credit for stopping him on a couple of possessions a smart guy like Giannis if uh, the reigning MVP of the league is going to figure out pretty damn quickly how to switch things up and how to score off of Archie so it's not fair to ask some player like that. It's not fair to ask Archie Diakono to guard literally the reigning MVP in stretches where the game is still kind of in hand and you still have an opportunity to maybe make it close. Uh, in this game early, sure, Boylan, I'll, 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 I don't really care. I roll my eyes at it at this point because it's still early on in the season. But I mean, if we're in December and January and you're still running these line, same lineups out there and it's still exactly the same results, it, it's it's worrisome. And again, it goes back to exactly what we talked about in the offseason. As much praise as we gave the front office for all of the moves that they made, whether it was drafting Kobe White and Daniel Gafford or it was grabbing Thaddeus Young and signing and trading for Thomas Sadoransky to fill some of these whole desperate holes that they needed to fill, they left one massive, massive, massive hole open and that was at the wing spot and that has been a problem for this Bulls team since they started the rebuild is not having enough wing depth and that was something that we thought we were going to get in the draft they went with Kobe White which I'm perfectly fine with but they didn't really address it and I think this all comes back to thinking that they had Denzel Valentine in their back pocket and he was going to be an important rotation player and look at what's happened to him he hasn't gotten it he can't get in 
any important minutes at all. And it seems like quietly this might be turning into more of a Valentine versus Boylan type of scenario like it did with Jabari last year than it is just Denzel not being 100% healthy or um, yeah not being 100% healthy I feel like it's going kind of down the Jabari route from things that I've been hearing so it's it's weird to rely on a guy that hadn't played basketball in 18 months to fill in uh, major role role minutes in Valentine and then sure enough now this season he can't even see the floor yeah, it's it's beyond ridiculous. I mean, our friend C Red Fred is obviously out on Boylan for that exact reason. But <laughs> I mean, Boylan really is exacerbating the situation. We obviously knew coming into the season, as you sort of just suggested, that the wing position was going to be a weakness. It's obviously being weakened with Otto Porter not being available. But if you do have a wing on your roster, the lone wing that you do have within your rotation, to not have him out there and instead opting to close with four guard lineups against the against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks and then choosing to close with a three guard lineup against the Nets, or at least a period of that closing moments with, with Archie Diakono out there with Levine and Sadoransky, you're just making the uh, a problem that already, already existed even worse. So Boylan deserves some... Uh, yeah, he, he deserves, I, I guess, his fair share of blame. And um, at this point as well, Boylan is obviously pissing off a lot of Bulls fans. After this game, post the Nets game, he what he, what he said post-game was the fact that he was disappointed in the team's start, a home game on a Saturday night in Chicago. He didn't like the way he st- the team started. And he also went on to mention that he can't actually be out there on them, out there on the floor playing for them. They are the ones that have got to come out and do it, he said. Now, at this point, he is running just terrible rotations to the point where he himself is contributing to these losses. But post-game, he's out here sort of throwing the team under the bus. And I get it. He's not wrong. The team needs to come out and play a lot better than what they did against the Nets. But at the same time, it's his job to have them prepared. At the same time, he is throwing the team under the bus with his words, which is just going to make an already dire situation even worse. So... I'm just overboiling at this point. I think everyone most likely within Bulls Nation is, but he's just contributing to an already bad situation. But yeah, it, it's there's nothing really good or positive to talk about with the Bulls at this point, unfortunately, which which sucks for all of us because we all had high hopes for this season. But here we are sitting at 4-9. and nine. And uh, the Bulls continue to look pretty bad. They've got the Bucks coming up on Monday night, which is probably another loss. Four and 10, we can assume. But after that, the Bulls have a, a run of games which are somewhat easy let's call it there's there's not there's no easy games for the bulls at this point but they've got the pistons the heat they hit the road on uh on saturday against the charlotte hornets then they've got the blazers the warriors the blazers again the kings and the grizzlies with and then finally closing out this little run here against the warriors so they've got some winnable games coming up given how injured and or how bad those teams that have been playing themselves but I, i don't know if there's much upside going forward over the next sort of 10 games jordan yeah, I don't know either, and that's that's the point too. And you know, as 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 much as we look at the schedule and at preseason, I was like, wow, November's going to be a death march for this Bulls team if they're not a hundred percent healthy and if they're not clicking on all cylinders right away. Um, you looked at all the teams that the Bulls have to play, and I I tweeted this out a few weeks ago. The Bulls started what was it one in five or two in five. Um, and I asked Bulls Nation, I was like, what do you think the Bulls record's going to be come December 1st when they're 20 games in? And I listed the entire schedule leading up to that point. And for a lot of fans, a lot of people thought the Bulls would be 6-14, and 5-15, maybe 7, maybe 7-13. and 13, But there was nobody really taking them 500 or better, um, which worries me and concerns me. And now the Bulls do catch a little bit of a break, I feel like, with Chris Middleton still being out. So the game will be a little bit closer. But what we saw on Thursday gives me no indication that the Bulls can win a game against a legitimate team like Milwaukee and what we saw against the Nets tonight at home like that is super depressing in front of your home fans if this was a road game where you blew it I would give them a little bit a little bit more credit uh, being on the road and away but at home at the United Center the Bulls have to win more games at home it's just inexcusable last year they were terrible at home as well Uh, but you have Milwaukee Detroit 
Miami, Charlotte, Portland, Golden State, and Portland again before you get into December. I see maybe two wins there. Maybe you pull off a win against Charlotte, who actually has been halfway decent. Um, and maybe you you win against Golden State, who sits out everybody. D'Angelo Russell, I think, is going to be out for a couple of weeks. Um, we'll see what happens with Draymond, too, if he stays healthy or if they decide to sit him. But I, honestly, after that, I still only see like two wins. So the Bulls could end up 6-14 and 14 at this point by the time we get to December 1st. It's not very encouraging, especially because it feels like we're right back at the same place we were with Fred Hoiberg just a year ago. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the next 11 games are going to dictate the Bulls' season as to where it goes from here. And just ironically, the next 11 games or after those 11 games, that will be the game or we'll be up to game 24. And that's the time when Fred Heiberg was obviously fired and replaced uh, by Jim Boylan. So yeah, the next the next 10, 11 games, they're going to dictate this Bulls' season and, and how it sort of shapes up. Say this Bulls' season, say we end up at and say we end up at six and 14 to start and just come December 1st and maybe even beyond that we're 10 games under 500 going into the new year somebody asked us an interesting question this week and I'm still kind of uh, pondering this a lot because I find it very interesting somebody asked us who do you think would be first to go if the Bulls decide you know what the season is pretty much a wash we're not going to be as competitive as we thought would they think about trading Levine or Markinen, or do you feel like Boylan would be fired? What is more likely to happen either this season or by the end of the season in terms of direction? What do you see more likely to happen? One of the core pieces being dealt or Jim Boylan being fired? Yeah, I mean, that that's a great question. I, I would probably at this point lean towards one of the players being dealt. And, and I say that because... If you fire Boylan, that's an admission of guilt of sorts by management. So I, I think they would want to avoid that situation at all costs. But if they can find a way to maybe lump the blame on a, a disappointing player who maybe hasn't lived up to expectations, whether that's Levine or whether that's Markkinen or whoever it may be, I think that's probably more likely. But at the same time, I'm still bringing this all back to Boylan. At this point, he has coached 70 games in the NBA. He has a 30% win record, which is obviously terrible. It's the second worst in Bulls coaching history. The only one that has a worse record is Tim Floyd. If I take out the guys that have played or coached one or two games, you know, in in an interim basis, the only one that has a worse winning percentage is Tim Floyd. Now, obviously, a big chunk of that reason is that the Bulls were tanking last season, but this was meant to be a winning season for the Bulls, or at least it's a season that they were pushing towards the playoffs. And we, we're sitting here now talking about a 4-9 and nine squad, which is obviously pretty damn bad. So to answer your question, I think it should be Boylan, but it probably would more likely be one of their one of their star players or quote-unquote star, star players who didn't take the step that they were meant to. And I think one of those guys would probably end up being the scapegoat, unfortunately. I was, I'm the 100% with you. I think that's where Matt and I both leaned as, as much as we want it, we would want it to be boiling and still stick it out with these players. Because I do believe in every one of these guys in this roster still, especially the young guys. You know, I still give them the opportunity to grow and learn. Um, but I don't necessarily believe it's under Boylan. I don't think he helps these guys nearly at all develop any type of chemistry together. And what he's doing, I just, you know, I tried to give him a little bit of credit to grow with the players because this is his first head coaching opportunity. But he's been in a league a long time around a lot of a lot of really respectable coaches, and he'll be the first one to tell you that as well. So for the fact that this isn't going the way it should, especially like you had mentioned, what he's got 70 games underneath his belt already, um, that's nearly a full season. So we should see some type of turn from Boylan. We haven't seen that either. So I think the blame is just as much as it is on Boylan as it is on the players. Um, And I think another thing with Boylan too, just a side note real quick, is I don't like the fact that he doesn't seem to take accountability on all that much. It seems like he defers accountability to other places and or just makes up weird, weird sayings and uh, phrases and talks about how we're still going to just coach this team. And I believe in these guys and all that weird stuff. He seems like he defers a lot of the blame to other things, um, which I don't necessarily like about a, a head coach. I feel like players don't necessarily buy into that either. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting. But I, I said the same thing. I think there would be a huge 
change if the Bulls go into the start of the new year and they're still just as bad as they are right now. Um, and it's unfortunate that Otto Porter is hurt and we have no timetable for him to return because he would be thrown right into this mix. But obviously, if they are looking down the road to trade somebody, it hurts and diminishes his value, which I know a lot of teams last year at the trade deadline were very interested in him. Teams like the Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers and I don't know, hopefully Otto can come back if that is the case where the Bulls are playing so bad. But I'm with you. I think it's going to be a change of whether they deal Markin and they deal Levine and try to reset this thing if the case is where the Bulls are 10 or 15 games under 500 going into the new year. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, to reiterate your point, Casey Johnson has said in multiple articles that Boylan's here. He's here for the, uh, maybe not long term, but he's here for the season at least. He ain't going anywhere because he shares a lot of the same thoughts that John Paxson shares about just basketball philosophy, I suppose. So they are simpatico in that sense. So Boylan by is an extension of Paxson and it, it just doesn't seem like Paxson is willing to fall on his own sword, let alone get rid of Boylan. So I, I, I agree. I think if it's going to be anyone, it's going to be a player. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was. And then that player flourishes to wherever he is. He's traded. So hopefully that's not the case. But yeah, that's probably where I would lean as well. But yeah, hopefully we don't we don't head down that path. Hopefully things can change and get back on track. But who the hell knows, Jordan? Who the hell knows? But yeah, like I said, mate, I appreciate you coming on. Tell the people where they can uh, follow you online, mate. Yeah, absolutely. At Jordan C. Malley on Twitter. Also at Locked on Bulls. Uh, host of Locked on Bulls. Do five episodes a week along with uh, my co-host and Matt Peck as well. So if you guys want your daily dose of Bulls basketball on top of Bulls HQ and all the other Bulls podcasts that are out there doing great coverage, which is a shame, man. It's too bad we don't have a team that is more competitive because there is such good Bulls content out there for everybody to consume. And whether and with this team being so bad over the last three years or so of this rebuild, we still got a very, very strong fan base. So yeah, you can follow us there, subscribe to the show. Um, and Mark, it's been fantastic. Thank you again for having me on. We'll have to get you on Bulls, uh, Locked on Bulls soon here. Um, and hopefully the season turns around by the time we have you on. Yeah, when you get me on, let's talk about a win. But I mean, to your to your credit, you and Matt, I have no idea how you guys do a daily show about this team. I mean, you guys are absolute troopers, having to talk about this squad on a daily basis. I I whinge about it on a on a you know now two times a week, but uh, you guys do it every single day, which is just crazy. But I appreciate you doing so, and yeah, thank you for coming on, mate. Uh, the Bulls podcasting community is strong, and the fact that you guys are able to jump on every day, give people what they want. Every single day, every single day, despite this team being, for the most part, a complete calamity, it's um, it's credit to you guys. But uh, thank you for coming on, and hopefully next time we speak, we're we're talking about some some positive things. I hope so too. Thanks again, Mark. Have a good one. All right, Bulls fans. So that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for tuning in. Apologies again that we had to record a show post a loss, but um, we'll see how that ha- how that transpires at the back end of this week. But until then. Follow me on Twitter too at MKHoops. If you want to hit me up on an email, do so by sending an email to bullshqpod at gmail.com. But we'll be back again during the week. Hopefully, we're talking about uh, a few Ws at that point, but fingers crossed, Bulls fans. But again, thank you for tuning in. Until next time, this has been Bulls HQ. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.